lesson for this week, which is the fifth Sunday after Epiphany, comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help him. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. The word of the Lord. Well, folks, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Have you ever heard of the, the telephone game? This is something, it's been around for a long time. I don't know if kids still play this or not, but it's, it's kind of a funny idea. It's, it's like you have a phrase or, or a story or something like that, and one person tells it, whispers it in the ear of, 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 of another person, and then they in turn whisper it into the ear of the next person and the next person and the next person and so on and so forth until you go all the way around a circle. And then the last person says it out loud, and, and everyone laughs because usually the message or the phrase or whatever that we started with is so vastly different than what we get to it's not, it's, that it's just hilarious. That idea... I think is one that we could almost apply when we begin to look at the background of what we call the Gospels. The, these stories about Jesus and his ministry and his life and his death and his resurrection. Now, in the Bible, we have four of them. We have Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. There were also other Gospels written and attributed to other, to, to other people that, that aren't in the Bible. But we have all these different sources that, that tell us different, different things about Jesus and what I love about them, what I really appreciate about them, is that they're written from different perspectives. They were written by different people. They were recorded by different people. They were compiled by different people. And they bring these different, these different perspectives in. And I really, really appreciate that. Now, just like the telephone game results in the details being different, we see the same sort of thing go on within the, the, the different Gospels. Now, when we think about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and everything in between, we know that there were a lot of different events that happened. Some of those events are present in all four of the Gospels. Some of them might show up in one or two or three of them and not in others. Sometimes the details get really mixed up about who was present and who wasn't and where did this happen and when did this happen and what were the details within it. All of them can be different. There's similarities and there's differences. And we really begin to see this when we look at today's story and we begin to compare it to the other Gospels, these moments that happen. And we know a little bit about the background of the four Gospels themselves. Now, scholars believe that Luke was the last of the four to be recorded. 
and that Luke actually utilized the other three Gospels, Matthew and Mark and John, and brought aspects of those stories together, and then also probably was using some of those other sources, the ones that we don't have names for. We don't know exactly what they are. So that Luke was bringing all of this stuff in together, and we begin to see that when we really, really dig into the details. Now, what I appreciate about this, this particular moment, this one event that, that Luke puts together into one, we find aspects from three different stories within the other Gospels. First off, we have this idea of Jesus sitting in a boat along the seashore to teach to the crowds. Well, that happens in Matthew and Mark both, but they both place it way later in Jesus' ministry, way deeper into the story. We also have this moment of the calling of the first disciples when Jesus finds these individuals like Simon and James and John, who we hear named in there. And there's also Simon's brother, Andrew, who, who Luke doesn't name, but he's very likely present there as well. And we have this moment. But in Matthew and Mark, we hear about Jesus just walking along the seashore. He's not really teaching anyone. And he encounters these guys and he's like, hey, why don't you follow me? And they do. First, he does it with, with Simon and with Andrew, and then he does it with James and John, and these four guys, they start to follow him. So we have that story that's included here as well. And then finally, we have this miraculous catch of fish, this, this amazing, huge catch of fish. And that miracle also happens in John's gospel, but John places it clear at the end of the story. It's after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, after the resurrected Lord has been appearing to the different disciples. And we hear in that one that Simon and a few of the other disciples decide that they're going to run out and go fishing overnight. And so they're in the boat and they fish all night. They don't catch anything. And in in the morning, this figure shows up on the seashore and he, he calls out to them, hey, have you caught any fish? And Simon's like, no. And he says, well, put the net on the other side. And they do. And they catch a bunch of fish. And that opens his eyes to realize that's the resurrected Jesus. So we have these three different moments from the different gospels that all come together into this one account from Luke. And while that's a lot to think about, but perhaps we begin to, to wonder, well, if we have all these different details and we have all these different stories and the different gospels kind of place them all together, what should we do with that? And maybe, just maybe, what we need to remember is to not get bogged down in the details, but rather to pay attention to the truth that is being revealed within that story. And that's what I really, really like to focus in on when I'm working with an individual passage. Now, to think about this moment as Luke presents it, we also need a little bit of background as to what's going on. Now, remember, here in Epiphany, we talk about ways that Jesus is revealed to the world as Messiah. And we've heard that he has begun his ministry, and his ministry looks like him appearing in the synagogues within the different communities of, of producing miracles of healings and other miraculous type events, teaching and, and preaching and proclamation and all of this different stuff as he travels around into different locations in and around what we call the Holy Land, Israel, Judea, Galilee. These are all names that get thrown around for this, this different parts of this one region where Jesus is active. Now we hear that one of the places where he does this is a city called Capernaum. Now, the community of Capernaum was a really important one, kind of in the northwest corner of something called the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Gennesaret, which is what we, we hear it called today. 
So there's this community, and it's not real huge in terms of, of like geographic size, but it is a very, very busy community at Jesus' time. It was a trade route. It was a taxation route, so the Romans definitely had a presence there. It was an important uh, travel route that people would come through, and because of its proximity to the, to the, the sea, to the, the Sea of Galilee, there was a lot of fishing that was a big, big, big part of the day-to-day -day life, and of course that involves fishermen. Jesus has gone into that community, and one Sabbath day, he's in the synagogue, and he's preaching, and he's teaching. And in that moment, there is a man there that we hear about who is possessed of a demon. And Jesus doesn't touch the guy. He just commands the demon to come out of the man, and it happens. Simply by speaking the words, it happens. Now, here's the deal. Simon, who we hear about today, lived in Capernaum. And he was a good Jewish man, which means he would have been in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, which means he would have seen this happen. He was a witness to this. Immediately after that happens, Jesus leaves the synagogue and actually goes to Simon's house right there in town. We don't really know why. We just hear that he goes into Simon's house. And we find that Simon's mother-in-law is suffering from a fever. And once more, Jesus performs this miracle simply by speaking it. He tells the fever to come out of her, and it happens. And you can bet Simon was there to witness that as well. So in these two moments, Simon has witnessed the power of Jesus on display simply through the authority that is present within his voice, within his words. This is all important background to bring now into this story. I'm sorry, I've thrown a lot of background at you, but I think it's all important. We hear Jesus is down along the lakeshore, along the seashore, and he's teaching, and the crowds are pressing in on him. We know just from the narration it's probably fairly early in the day because the boats are all pulled up on shore and the fishermen are out and they're washing their nets out. They're basically doing their wrap-up after a full night of fishing and they're getting their stuff ready so it's ready for the next night. Probably morning. The crowds have gathered. They're pressing in on Jesus. And he's, I don't know if he's feeling claustrophobic or he's just worried that people aren't going to be able to see him and hear him. So he looks and he sees these couple of boats and he jumps into one that happens to belong to Simon. And he says, hey, put off a little ways from shore. And that way people can see me and people can hear me and I don't get crushed and everything's going to be happy and joyful. And so that's exactly what they do. And Jesus teaches, and we don't know what he teaches. It doesn't tell us that. Maybe that doesn't really matter at all. But when it's done, he looks at Simon, who's there in the boat with him, and he says, hey, why don't you put out into deep water and let your nets down for a catch? And now we get Simon's first words here in Luke's gospel. Master, we have been working all night. We've caught nothing. Yet because you say so, we will do it. They do exactly that. They let the nets down. So many fish are immediately tangled up in the net that the nets are beginning to break, and they can't pull them all in, and so they signal to the other boat, and that's James and John in the other boat, and they come out, and they start scooping up all these fish, and they fill both boats to the point where they're about ready to sink and be swamped because there's so many fish, and they row themselves back into shore, and, and Simon freaks out, and he kind of throws himself at Jesus' knees, and he says, Lord, forgive me. I'm a, uh, you go away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, hey, don't worry about it. It's all good. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish and catch people. And they leave everything. They leave behind their nets. They leave behind their boats. They leave behind the other people. They leave behind this amazing catch of fish, which, hey, they're fishermen. That would have been a financial gold mine for them. But they leave it all behind, and they follow Jesus. It's this entrance into discipleship. 
I love this passage, and I think there's a lot that's going on here. But more than anything, I love the fact that it focuses in on Simon. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, he is just so relatable. We hear a lot about this guy throughout the course of the Gospels. His name pops up a lot. He's an important figure within the disciples. He's an important figure within the early church after the death and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus when when they're kind of on their own. So he's an important figure, and yet he's so human, and he's so relatable. And I connect with him so often. He's impulsive. He's oftentimes bullheaded. He makes mistakes. He sticks his foot in his mouth a lot. And I can relate to a lot of those things. So whenever he's on, uh, when, whenever he's kind of present and front and center within one of the stories, I really perk up and pay attention. And one of the things that really grabbed my attention when I thought about it this week is the words that he says. And I find myself wondering, how does he say it? Jesus is over here teaching, and he gets in the boat, and then he's teaching some more. And then Jesus says to Peter, hey, put out into deep water and let down your nets for the catch. And we hear the first words uttered by Simon, Master, we have been working all night, and we have caught nothing. Yet because you say so, we will do it. Here's what I'm wondering. When you think about that statement, or perhaps when you read this passage out of Luke chapter 5, not listening to me say it or someone else say it, but when you read it and you're hearing it in your mind, I wonder, how do you hear Simon say those words? Do you think he was totally like monotone, like he was a robot master? We have worked all evening or all night and have caught nothing, but because you say so, we will do it. No, I'm betting he didn't say it that way. Simon, like anybody else, is going to have some emotion. He's going to have a mood based on what's going on with him. Think about it. They've been working all night. He's probably tired. Stands to reason he was probably a little bit cranky. We don't know that he is, but he probably was. So what mood was he in? Was he annoyed? Master, we've worked all night. We haven't caught anything, but if you say so, I guess we'll do it. Is he frustrated? Like, who is this guy to tell me how to do my job? I'm a fisherman. I know if we worked all night, we didn't catch anything. There's nothing out there to catch. And this is some carpenter turned rabbi. Who's he to tell me what to do? Master, we worked all night. We caught nothing. But if you say so, I guess we'll do it. Is he annoyed? Is he frustrated? Is he angry? Is he beaten down? Is he downtrodden? Or is the opposite true? Is he so excited to be around Jesus that he'll do anything? Master, we worked all night and caught nothing, but if you say so, I guess we'll do it. We don't know. But here's the thing about it. Here's what I love about Scripture. When we read Scripture, Scripture also reads us. And I believe very fully with every atom of my being that every single time we come to a story, whether we have read it before or not, But if we have read it before, we are hearing it and reading it and experiencing it differently now than we did the previous time because life has changed. Our situation has changed and our immediate situation is different than the last time. So how do you hear Simon respond to Jesus when he says, Master, we've worked all night and we have caught nothing? I can't help but think that the way you hear it in your mind might just be revealing something about you and what you are experiencing in your life today. I believe that Peter was probably tired and annoyed 
because this guy was telling him how to do his job. And yet, because of what he has seen and experienced in Jesus before, he is willing to do it regardless of how he might feel about it in that particular moment. And what I really, really appreciated about this is that Jesus meets Simon where he is. Not physically, but emotionally. Whatever emotion, whatever mood, whatever response is behind these words of Simon, Jesus meets him there. And the miracle happens and things begin to change. Now there's a very subtle moment, a very subtle detail that happens here in this passage that I think is also important. This amazing, miraculous moment happens, and Peter, regardless of the mood that he was in before, recognizes something about Jesus, and he also recognizes something about himself, and he throws himself at Jesus' knees, and we hear Simon Peter said, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. If you know anything about Simon, you know he's one of those individuals within the scriptures who undergoes a name change. Now this happens to a fair number of people, and he's one of them. He starts off as Simon, but he's also known as Peter. And in fact, it's hard for me to even call him Simon because in my mind, his name is so synonymous as Peter. But sometimes we hear him Simon, sometimes we hear him Peter, and sometimes we hear Simon Peter. And this time, right here, Simon Peter, who throws himself at Jesus' knees and confesses himself to be a sinful man, this is the first time he is called that. And so we begin to see this identity change. I appreciate that it happens in and around water, and you can blame me being Lutheran for that. Here in my Lutheran tradition, we put a lot of emphasis on something we call the sacraments, and specifically one that I put even more emphasis on is the sacrament of baptism, which involves water and the promise of God which is spoken over the individual, a promise which is also a claim. A claim that you are mine, you are my beloved child, and that is an identity that that individual carries. They have their name and they have their identity. Likewise, his name was Simon, his identity was Peter. And his identity was a follower of Christ. Now what I also like about this, this invitation that Jesus offers Simon Peter in this moment, come and follow me. I will make you fish for people and his importance is so huge as the story goes on. But more importantly, he simply becomes a follower of Christ. He has entered into something that we call the body of Christ, and it happens through this miraculous moment in water. Likewise, through the miraculous moment that happens in water and what we call baptism, we receive this new identity, and we also are entered into what we call the body of Christ. All of this speaks to the idea of being called. Not because we put ourselves into a situation, but because God became human and meets us where we are. Not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, all of the above. God does not care where we are at in that moment. God meets us right there. And it's my prayer for you today that no matter where you are, spiritually, emotionally, figuratively, literally, whatever, it is my prayer that you have an encounter with Jesus, that you feel that sense of inclusion, that sense of acceptance, and that sense of, of connection into something bigger that's made possible through his life and his death and his resurrection. May that be true for you today.